All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Up In Your Business. We're here with a good old friend of ours, Adam Alpert from Pangea. Adam, what's up? good to have you. Back He's back. Here. Fun fact for anybody who doesn't know, Adam was number... Early. Eight? One. Seven? I don't know, within the first ten. Number eight in the podcast, number one in our hearts. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Um, and uh, so as we've been getting back into the podcast and uh, getting it, you know... More frequently, I was like, you know, Adam would be a good one to have back on because there's been a lot of growth in the last couple of years on all cylinders. All cylinders. Um, and so I saw Adam at a recent event and I was like, hey, man, um, you know, I'm really bummed that I was telling him, like, I think like in our first 10 to 12 episodes before we started doing video, like we had some really solid guests. Yeah. And it's a bummer that we weren't doing video at the time because it'd be cool to have video of those. But anyway. Now we have video with Adam. So anyway, Adam, thanks for coming back, man. It's good to have you on. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, give a quick rundown of who you are and what Pangea is. Sure thing. My name is Adam. I am one of the co-founders of Pangea.app. We have built one of the largest freelance marketplaces targeting Gen Z. Started when I was a recent grad from Brown, and we decided to build the whole startup right here in Providence with the thesis that you could build a startup from anywhere. And this was pre-COVID, and yeah. it turned out we were quite right. Yeah, um, that's cool. And so I feel like when we first had you on was they're like late 2018 or early 2019. And um, anyway, like I said, it's a lot different now than it was then. Give everybody... Let's hear a quick recap of like what's happened in the last three years. It's a good question. You know, obviously there are challenges that happen specifically with a marketplace. And then there are challenges that happen with just any kind of business, um, particularly a, a higher growth tech startup. So I'll probably speak more to that. You know, when in the early days, it was really John and I, you know, John's pushing every single line of code and I'm talking to every single customer and every single thing and doing all the matching. Yeah. And at a certain point, your job as a as a co-founder and or a CEO is to basically fire yourself from specific jobs. Yeah. So you have to figure out where am I bottlenecking our growth? And once it becomes painful, you bring someone in to basically learn that role and do it better than you ever can. And then yeah. you kind of move on to the next. I think one of the partners that we learned from in YC talked oftentimes about being a founder of a startup is a lot like playing a series of mini games. <laughs> and each different stage of a startup or each different task is basically like a different level on like Super Mario. <laughs> and, and, and you have to beat that level. It's a mini game. And then yeah. once you beat that level, ideally you kind of like, figure out a system, you figure out how to scale it, you bring in someone to hire it, yeah. and you move on. But what happens is, is that over time, you, you, you're you not so much in the weeds of every single thing in the day to day. Right, right. I had a, a, another another a founder friend of mine described it as learning how to fly a helicopter. And it's like when, when, you're, when you're just starting, you know, the joystick, like you as a pilot, you, everything you do is immediately translated into like what the helicopter does, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. there's very little electronics in it and it's pretty much like what you do, the, the plane does or like a glider on an airplane. But as you get to more advanced systems, like flying a, a, like a UH-60 Blackhawk, you know, kind of a deal, the, it's all electronic. So it's all about the dashboards and technology and it's more about having to write systems and dashboard technology. Like 
that translates what you do into what actually happens in the rotor blades. Uh, it isn't like okay. you moving the rotor blade directly. It's right. you move this lever that then triggers this code that then does this and then does right. this. It's very complex. But by so, learning the basic stuff, you know why you're going to do that into the computer and tell it to. Abs- absolutely. But obviously, you know, you have the you know U.S. military flying a Black Hawk, not just like your local yeah. training yeah. helicopter. So, <laughs> so same thing happens in a startup, right? In the early days, you're the one taking all the customer calls. You're the one dealing with every single thing in support. Yeah. You're doing every single thing. And if you're not doing it, it's not happening. Yeah. But as you scale and you start firing yourself from each of these jobs, your role as the founder and CEO is to set up the right systems, the right dashboards, the right people, and make sure that they're enabled to go out there and basically fly the helicopter. Um, So you have to learn, it's like I sometimes have to hold myself back from jumping in too far in the weeds and taking on too many things because when I get too in the weeds, I'm not looking at where the helicopter's going. Right, and right, then right. We, you, you know? And then the systems that are in place to do it are then not working. Exactly, properly. and it's not scalable. Right. Now, so you have to balance that out because in a startup, you should do things that don't scale. And before you jump to building a UH-60 Blackhawk, you need to first learn how to just fly the helicopter and get off the ground. And that yeah. involves you moving the joystick. Of course. So sometimes I talk to founders who get too caught up in like, building day out that Blackhawk oh, okay. and they never like get off the, Yeah, they get, well, they get too caught off in like building systems too early and trying to think about scale uh, too early. And then there's other founders where I've struggled where I gotta get, I gotta let go of the joystick and like upgrade the helicopter into something that's more complex right. and can fly at night. But what's the trick to that? Like, how do you let go? So first comes down to um, another founder friend of mine. His name is, is Pat Brown, who runs a company called Serve, taught me this lesson. He's actually based here in Rhode Island as well. And it's learning how to be patient and learning how to trust your team. Um, because in the early days when you hire someone, it's going to be easier and faster for you to just do it. So if I'm yeah. if I'm the one who's set up certain systems and like Airtable or Google Sheets, for instance, and I'm the one who's in the past done X, Y, or Z, it's really fast for me to do those things. And a lot slower for someone I'm just training and hiring and onboarding to do those things. Of course. So it's easy to get frustrated when that new person you hire doesn't pick it up right away. Yeah. But if I'm just always doing it, then they're never going to learn. Exactly. And then I'm going to keep doing it. So yeah. a lot of it comes down to onboarding, training, being patient, and then having trust. Um, and then when things go wrong, not resisting the urge to come in and just fix it, yeah. but using those as moments to come in and be patient and say, here, like, why do you think this is happening? Yeah. Even if once I see what's wrong, you know, taking that extra it. five minutes to kind of walk them through kind of how you got there mentally so that they understand how to debug it and fix it in the future. Uh, and right. that takes patience. And that's all about management, all about onboarding folks. And I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs go wrong as well. It's a, it's a hard part of a business for sure when you start to hire. And I mean, you hit it spot on. It's like, Yes, we can do everything faster than everybody else, but we're never going to build a business bigger than it is currently if we don't learn to like let go and let it happen slower and take a little longer or like have a few mistakes happen along the way. Yeah, and, and, and another mentor of mine once said, you need to take one step. You Sometimes you need to take one step back to take two steps forward. So I might For take sure. a little bit of an L over the next month as you know, I could do it faster, but I'm going to train this person to do it so that right. such, such that they could spend all their time doing this stuff and I can focus on the high level. Of course. And then dive into the next minigame. Like there's always an instance where I'm very much in the weeds, mm-hmm. but I view it as a minigame. 
So I view it as, hey, we don't have a system for data governance or we don't have a system for creating X number of dashboards. Like I'm going to go in, I'm going to stand that up myself and learn it really well and get it working such that I can start to hand it off and then move on to the next mini game, which might be like redoing our brand strategy and our mission and vision statements and stuff like that and redoing our user personas and diving into that. So I'm always at some point in the middle of a game and playing that game, but I can't play every single mini game concurrently over and over and over again. Right. Because you hit some natural limit on how many things you can focus on. Of course. And then over time, like you're saying, the people you train end up doing it better than you. And that's the goal. You want your team to do things better than you because then you can focus on the big picture. Where's the business going? Where Where's the plane headed? Ab- ab- um, absolutely. Um, there's, there's a very famous business management article, um, uh, I think by Peter Drucker, and it's, it's about um, thinking about tasks and like things that need to happen as monkeys and like yourself as a zookeeper. And what happens is oftentimes throughout the day, people will come into your office yes. and say like, I have a monkey that's sick and I need you to take care of it. And oftentimes what happens is they like hand over that monkey to you and then you start feeding it and you like, they walk out the door and then you have this monkey in your office with you <laughs> taking care of it. And then someone else comes in and someone, and then by the end of the day, you have like 10 or 15 monkeys <laughs> in your office and you're, t- and you can't take care of all of them. So, so what the, the, one of the takeaways in the article is when someone comes into your office with a monkey, you kind of play the role of a doctor, right? And you come in, you give a little bandaid, you give a little like bottle of milk and you say, all right, this monkey is better take the monkey with you, yeah, right? Yeah. And you don't hold on to all the monkeys that folks give you because that allows you to see a lot more monkeys in a day and take care of right. a lot more. And then your whole team is helping take care of everything. It's not just in your shoes. Um, yeah. And that's just, a, I think, a natural human tendency is like, I have this thing, I'm gonna try to hand it off to someone else. Right. But when someone comes into your office and tries to hand you off something, you come in, you play that mini game, you complete it and you hand it back off. And I think that's also where a lot of things I, I got, I've gone wrong in the past where something's wrong, it comes in, I like dive in, I'm like, I'm gonna own this monkey now. And, but like, I can only tend to three or four monkeys at a time. So if I have 15 monkeys all of a sudden I'm responsible for, I can't do a good job. And that also means that I have a couple other team members that maybe have fewer monkeys and it's, it's an inefficient allocation of monkeys. That's a good point. Cause yeah, yeah, we get stuff like I'll come into the office with my to-do list and I'll have my, everything I need to do to get today's done. Next thing you know, you got this coming in here, this coming in here. And you look up at the clock and it's two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon. And I even, haven't even touched my list yet. Yes. It, it, it happens all the time. And, it, and it's hard. It's a lot of monkeys and also comes down to prioritization. Like sometimes people come sure. at with you with like something urgent. And sometimes it is urgent. Sometimes it isn't. Right. So this is where it gets like just you have to be a little bit big brain about things. Sometimes it is urgent and someone's being blocked. And when someone's being blocked and they have nothing else that they can do. And this is like the only thing like that does take precedent. Right. Because I don't want my teammate just sitting waiting around for four hours and not doing something. And you're paying them too. Yeah. 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 So I try to prioritize, Hey, this is, this is like important and urgent and like I do it. If this is important, but not urgent because you're not blocked on it, I might put it aside. If it's non-urgent and not important, it's going at the bottom of that list. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I try to always have that kind of looking at my to-do list of like, what's the most important thing that I do today? What's the most urgent? Mm. And then whenever people are blocked, I, I do try to prioritize those things. Yeah. Like there were, there were two things that came onto my plate last night at the end of the day, it looks like five thirty six o'clock. I had two teammates each come to me with like, I'm blocked on this and I'm blocked on this. 
And what I did is I just like worked another hour that night and I just unblocked both of them. So when they arrived this morning, 8.30, They're I was like, this go. is done, this is done. You're good to go. Right, and then yeah. they've been, you know, able to just be working all day and not, they're not waiting for me. That's really cool. I, honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that little urgent, important, not important. Yeah. Because I have like a to-do list in my notes app that I look at every day and I say, okay, like what do I need to get done today? But it's not organized in really any fashion. When I start to work, it, it's important to at least have yeah. that understanding because sometimes I'll get pulled off on something that is not as important, not as urgent as other things. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's important and urgent. For instance, um, like I have a lot of stuff in my home and I have a lot of stuff in my office and, and we're, we're currently going fully remote. So we're getting rid of our office yeah. and I'm just trying to, I'm trying to subscribe more to minimalism and like Mary Kondo yeah. and just get rid of some stuff in my home. And I woke up this morning. I'm like, oh, there's so much stuff in my house and my room and I could like clean <laughs> this up today. But guess what? I have my lease until May. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not urgent. The office I have two and a half weeks on. Yeah. So that's the stuff that I need to prioritize. Right. And they're both important, but one of them has, has a very clear timeline yeah. and it's urgent. And if I don't get that stuff out of there in two weeks, it's gonna be a problem. Yeah. If I don't, you know, get rid of some stuff in my, in my bedroom for two weeks, not a it's problem. Gonna okay. It's going to be okay. I have six more months to deal right. with it. Yeah. That's funny. I have a, a good episode title already in my head. What do we got? Uh, monkeys and airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good, uh, you know, headline read. Yeah. Good yeah. headline. We'll, uh, we'll workshop it. Yeah. yeah. Airplanes and monkeys <laughs> airplanes with Adam. And monkeys. Um, you talked about your house and I thought you guys going before the office and since we talked to you last, you guys did something really cool. Where you, what you just rent? You rented a house, right? And you'd use it as your headquarters. Yeah. So, so we did like the opposite thing that a lot of people did during COVID. So I was already living with. <laughs> you like, brought everybody together. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> instead of instead of instead of like taking our whole team and going fully remote, right. we like rented a house and brought everyone together, and we turned our dining room into an office. It was so, pretty sick. So our dining room, we got like went to Ikea, got a bunch of standing desks, got a big whiteboard off Amazon. My neighbor helped me mount it. We got an accent wall in there. We got a company decal on the wall. So we'd wake up every morning and you just like would walk down the stairs, all kind of little groggy eye and like you'd be in the office. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we had some other team members like living around. Right they'd come every day. Right. So when everyone just went fully remote, like we brought everyone into the same space every day. Um, and it was really quite magical. It was really yeah, quite yeah. A, a, a special time in our lives and something we'll always yeah, like, kind of look, look back, back on. on. It was intense because there's no separation between work and, and life. Right. There's no like, oh, it's five o'clock, I'm going home. You already are home, uh, right? Yeah. And guess what? All your coworkers, all your coworkers are home with you. Right. <laughs> so, so we were, you know, working until ten or eleven o'clock at night every night, and that you know was a really important time to do that. We had a lot of stuff to yeah. work through, and right. uh, we had a lot of systems to put in place, and a lot of like first time conversations on how do we figure out what kind of product to build, and we had a lot yeah. to learn. So it was really special and really good for us in that time. And uh, I once. Once we closed our seed round last summer and our team started expanding, we, we couldn't fit everyone in our, yeah. at home anymore. In a bigger house. <laughs> and COVID was, we were starting to enter a little bit more of like the late stage, late COVID, right. post-COVID world. So we at that point, we got a separate office, um, especially once we brought on, um, we had some interns last summer. So we wanted to, we wanted to create a more professional environment sure. for yeah, those folks yeah, yeah. to come into. So uh, uh, we, we did that for a full year, though, of having everyone kind of work in our house. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, you, it's awesome. awesome to have, like, a place to go, I think. Like, have an office. Like, it's just, 
I like coming in here and I know that like when the day's over, like if I need to work till six or something, like whatever you do. But um, but then like going home and like kind of having that disconnect, it's it's important. It's nice having that space. I mean, I, I went I worked in Boston yesterday and I just commuted up and it was nice having that separation. I mean, one of the things that we've done now, so we had like a five bedroom house and as 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 we've grown and as I've actually been able to draw a salary, we, we've slowly kind of like as roommates have like moved out, we just have stopped replacing them. Right. So now it's just my co-founder and I. Nice. So what's nice is we've been to start to turn the other rooms into the house into like an at-home office. Oh, cool. So we're, we're kind of returning to it just a little bit, but it's just for he and I. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just having that extra that space in your house that's like dedicated for this is like the workspace. Because then you can leave that space, right? And you have, but 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 when 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 it's your dining room, when it's the first <laughs> floor, when your when your living space is the workspace, I think that could be really challenging. Not to that's mention, me. you can't go outside and do anything because yeah. you were stuck inside because of COVID. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. There's nothing to do. But yeah. but that also made it such like there was no FOMO. You know, it, 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 honestly, you felt like this is like the coolest place in the country yeah. to be. It was like in this house. I remember it's you a had a. Idea. Uh, I like it. Yeah, it was fun. I remember like going over there once. You had the little fire outside. It was like sometime in the fall or like late. Summer. Yes, it was really nice. That was actually where I met uh, Nick for the first time. Yeah, 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 cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. So our, our neighbors were always very generous, and they had this really cool outdoor fire pit. So I'd have Mike come over a couple times, have a beer outside. Yeah, you, you would see the office. And we had the LED lights everywhere. It yeah. was like cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it was like a fun. And you didn't get any trouble from like the landlord or anything like that. No, no, it was it was it was all good. We was all very above board. Yeah. I mean, it was. I, if I think that if we had had like. 10 people coming and commuting to the house every day. Right. There would have been like a parking issue on the street. Yeah. And, <laughs> Definitely. Um, but I've always, I've always tried to, to maintain very positive, amicable relationships with all my neighbors. Yeah. yeah you like see, you're a nice guy. I like, being a, I like being a neighbor. You know, yeah. like I was outside my house. I had a 30 minute conversation with my neighbors yesterday. And um, there was a point in which we like, she gave me a hug and, you know what I mean? I think yeah, it's like it's we, we get very separated. Bridge. We get very separated from the folks that like live around us. And it used to be yeah. a very important part of our lives. And so I care a lot about, building good relationships. I think those those weak tie relationships are things that we don't put enough energy or focus on. I think we put a lot of energy in our friends, but like the weak yeah. tie relationships, and they really took a hit during COVID because yeah. people were not comfortable having, didn't want to be close to each other. And all right. those weak tie, all, going to the laundromat and seeing that getting your car, all that kind of like those people that you see frequently, yeah. you no longer have those. And, and those are actually really important for us as humans. I feel mm. like still now there's a stigma to just going up and talking to someone that you don't know. I feel like people are very standoffish still. Well, that's, that's an American thing. True. Yeah. yeah <laughs> or that, New England thing. That's a New England <laughs> thing. Um, I don't have that issue. Depends yeah. on, depends on, depends on like the setting. Yeah. Right. I mean, my, 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 my pro and my con is I can strike up a conversation with pretty much anybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's a I good thing that. and a bad thing. I feel that. <laughs> um, you know, you're talking about your business partner. Um, I always really like having a conversation about the pros and cons of having a business partner because obviously I have one. Um, and I think it's been a huge advantage of like, I don't know, over a solo owner in my mind. Um, share a little bit of your thoughts and experiences having a, a business partner. Yeah, I mean, I would not be where I am and we would not be where we are without John. Um, like we've been in it from day one right. and like we will be in it till the end. Yeah. Like he's been my, my go-to partner from the beginning. Ride or die. Uh, ride or die. Like we, we made the decision to like forego other jobs after graduation and yeah. like stay in Providence, which like none of our classmates did yeah. and <laughs> go three years of no salary, which none of our classmates did. Right. Um, and 
we've just been building it. You know what I mean? He's incredibly dedicated and it's really great having someone in the trenches with you because it's not normal, like starting a company. Like it's like everyone has like does things that are like more what everyone else is doing. So there's these moments where you question of like, what? are we doing? (laughs) You're telling me we got to go, you know, build this thing and then convince someone that it's going to be a billion dollars and then, you know, raise money. And that's how we're going to get a salary. That seems like that. That's not like, that's that's not the normal path. Take forever. Yeah. Um, But he's been in it, you know, and and you have someone in the trench with you, right? Oh, this is normal. Like he keeps me sane. Um, I think the, the, so that's an incredible pro, you know, and especially when there's so many things to do, like, for us, we really split up the responsibilities quite well. We're like, yeah, yeah. like John is the technical co-founder. Like he has built our entire product. Like, yeah. he, has, he has rebuilt Upwork. Um, I have raised the money and hired the people um, and figured out our sales strategies. And, and that's kind of, and, and continuing to optimize and figure out how we scale that. Yeah. Not what he spends too much of his time doing. Um, and more recently, it's been really nice because we started to break down those walls just a little bit. Like I've I've been able to reach in and figure out kind of our data governance and data dashboards to help our ops team and help analysis. And like I learned SQL and I kind of met them halfway in terms of being able to enable myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now I'm able to be a little more helpful on, on that front and take that off his, his plate, which might've in the past been on his. Yeah. And he's been really helpful helping think about like the future of the company and how we want to position it. Um, and been kind of, we've been having a lot of conversations around like, what are we working to build? Like we've gotten to, here we are, where do we right. want to go next? And how we right. really, how do we 10 X this or hundred X this and what do we want to do? And, yeah. you know, having, having his brain on that's been really helpful. I think obviously that when you have a partner, you have a partner, right? So you're not, when you're, when you're an independent, you just do whatever you want exactly. and you don't care what yeah. anyone else thinks. You don't have what, to think about it. Yeah. So obviously it's, it's, there's a lot of conversations and negotiation and, and sometimes compromise around like trying to figure things out together. And you gotta, yeah. you know, something that you might be excited about your partner might be not right. And, and right. vice versa. So that's yep. uh, like any relationship. So you, it requires thinking about that when yeah. being a solo founder doesn't. And there, there are certain entrepreneurs who like want to just have complete ownership yeah, and just yeah. do what they want. I'm less of that type I like having someone in the trenches with me. There's I also, think, oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, there's also like that, the confirmation too of like an idea is going to work or an idea is going to not work because you have another perspective coming at it. And yeah. if you're a solo, you could put something out there that, yeah, in your mind, you think it's the greatest thing, but nobody's telling you, hey, look about it, look at it from this way or this angle. Yeah. And I think the reverse can happen too. You might be scared to like have a certain idea or a potential you know, product or decision. Um, but if you were to mention the idea, you know, your partner might be like, no, nah, like that's a great idea. Like we should do it and here's how we should do it. Or and tweak then, it a little bit. And it's awesome now. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Like just being able to have that, like you said, Mike, another perspective, I think is can be huge. Yeah. It's like, um, having different perspectives in the world is incredibly important, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. in, in this interview, we have three different cameras, right? And they all have a different <laughs> perspective on the same scene and all of those perspectives really help. And it's the same like in, in a partnership and relationship where it's like, you want to find someone who has a similar view of the world, but is slightly different. Right. Because you think about us, like how we've evolved to have two eyes as right. an example, right? If we just had one eye, we'd have no depth perception. Um, but because we have two, it actually gives you a much deeper view. Yeah. If you like go like this for a day, like you'll start bumping into stuff. Yeah. <laughs> because the, the two, the two eyes, the, the, your, 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 your brain basically 
reconciles scenes and it helps you understand how far away things are depending on how they look in each eye. So that's what gives you depth perception. So when you only have like one eye, you actually don't have as good of depth perception. Like I so, can see Dylan out of my peripherals now. <laughs> not now. But now you can't even see what's on that half of your and half of your vision. Exactly. So I view having a co-founder as much the same. If you can find yeah. someone who has a, a similar view, but not the exact same view in right. the world, you can come up with a much more interesting kind of understanding of how the world is. I like that. Yeah. Um, hiring your people. Do you use mm. Pangea? Oh, yeah. Hey, oh, yeah. I was going to say. All the time. <laughs> All the time. You got it. You got to. Um, uh, we're big believers in using your own product. Like we, we built this product initially to, to solve our own problems. So we, we've done a pretty good job of continuously using our product to hire folks. I think like we've spent $10,000 working with freelancers in the last month, on yeah. Pangea, you know, or, or two months on Pangea. That's cool. So, so we, we use it all the time. Now, the thing that I think that we need to do a better job of is using it on the freelancer side. We've done a lot of work building it for the client experience yeah, yeah. and thinking like about from it the for business. them, but we're two-sided in it experience. Yeah, so yeah. One, of the, one of the experiments I actually did this past weekend is I, cr- I created a, a, a profile on Upwork and I just, I started freelancing on Upwork to get a sense of their what experience like. and where the opportunities are. And there's yeah. a ton, I can tell you. But it was interesting going through as a freelancer yeah. and, and kind of getting returning to that because we started the company because as a college student, I wanted to find paid work. Right. And it started not because we wanted to make it easier for people to hire, but because we wanted to make it easier for people to find work that they were so you're passionate about. From that perspective. Yes. Yeah. So more recently, I've been returning to thinking about things from that yeah. user persona and recentering on. Um, on the talent and recentering on the freelancers because it's on those folks that were making a tremendous impact in right. terms of how they live their lives. We have this one freelancer who's a recent grad and in the last year they've made more than $70,000. Wow. And they started freelancing full time and now they're just going to be totally remote, totally independent. And like this person's life has been shaped in its really that's unique insane. way and they have all this flexibility and control. So I'm like, that's, can we? How can we do that for everybody? For everybody? How can we do that for a hundred people? For a thousand people? For a million? And yeah. how do we? What? What are the consideration? What's the consideration set of folks uh, like this individual? Yeah. How do we find more like them? Right. And how do we build a product that really supports them in their journeys? Yeah, because to be able to make seventy grand, I mean, from one side, to be able to make seventy grand your first year after graduating is insane. That's incredible. Um, but two, it does require somebody who's obviously motivated, has, you know, uh, persistence. Work to like, ethic. Exactly, like yeah. a work ethic. Like, you, you don't just make 70 grand by, like, picking up a few jobs here and there. Like, no. you're hustling. Yeah. Which is awesome. Like, good yeah. for that kid. Yeah. They're super committed. Yeah. And an inspiration. And, and we talk with them every single week. Like, that's, that's the kind of person that, like, the other way you, 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 you do is, like, you just talk to your customers and you talk yeah. to your clients and you talk to your users all the time. I mean... And you go back to it. I think this is something that we've been doing a lot of recently. Is like we're, we're going back to user interviews. Yeah. We're going back to let's talk to people who have not signed up for our product yet, even who we think are of the same kind of ilk or same demographic yeah, or have the same persona. And yeah. And let's understand them in, a, in, in, in a pure environment. And like yeah. if they are freelancing, understand how they do it. If they're not, understand why. Hmm. Because over the next five years, they're going to be 40 million new people, new, who start freelancing. And we want to be the, yeah. the, the platform of choice for those right. folks. 
That's cool. What have been, what's been some of the, um, you know, user feedback from people that you guys have really like taken and maybe made adjustments based on, or like, you know, taken in ease of use UI hierarchy, like navigating the product, getting to your destination is incredibly easier than a lot of the other incumbents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like one of, one of the axes that I think we're already like winning on and are continuing to try to improve upon is just the platform experience, the product experience being tech forward, product forward, and kind of building it without so much baggage. I think it's hard for some of these more mature platforms to make dramatic changes to, I mean, just look at everyone, like look at what Facebook is like become toxic of like how many times they've changed their UI and UX. So much. And it alienates people. Just look at what's happening right now with uh, their shift to trying to be more like TikTok. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot we can spend a whole podcast talking about this. <laughs> right. but people hate when things change. Oh, yeah. So it's really hard for some of these larger incumbents to make some dramatic changes to how their product looks and feels without alienating some of their users. Right, right. So we have an opportunity as a newer upstart company to kind of do it from scratch without that baggage. Yeah. So that's one of the feedback we've heard is just like using our product is a lot easier. Um, and then attracting a certain type of engagement. So there are platforms to go out there where find like a single project. Upwork, Fiverr, they're great for, I will make a logo for you or I need someone to do this really specific task and I'll yeah, pay you yeah, like yeah. $100 for it. And right. like, that's fine. We're really orienting on the folks who want to have freelancing be a more consistent part of their work life. Right. And find it's much easier to find a client and build a longstanding relationship with one, two or three clients than it is to like find a new client every day. Right, right, um, right. Or like every week. Yeah. So we're trying to build a product that works better for people who are looking to build these longer term relationships as opposed to people who are necessarily trying to do like a one off gig. At yeah. least that's our current thinking. Yeah. And you guys make more money that way too. You have better retention. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing that's like, I, that's, that's my current mini game. It's a very big mini game. I don't know this mini game of It's all about <laughs> retention. Retention, re- growth is actually the center of retention. We, we, when, we're thinking about growth. You, you, when you think about growth, you think the first thing you think about is how do I acquire new people? Right. That's not it. I mean, that's a part of the equation, but a much more impactful part of the equation is how how are the people who actually you do acquire retaining? LTV. Exactly. LTV. How are they sticking around? Are they, are they using your product more continuously over time? Is their usage growing as you add more people to the network? Yeah. Like those are much more interesting metrics and the kind of metrics that are really indicative of if you have product market fit or not. Right. And product market fit isn't, oh, I have you know 30,000 people on my wait list. Product market fit is, oh, I have 100 freelancers, and those same 100 freelancers invoice on our product every single month. Right. And if right. I get a freelancer invoicing, and they're going to keep using it and invoicing every single month for 12 months straight, right. that's product market fit. As an ex- I mean, that would be an extreme example. You're never going to get 100%. Yeah. But that's what I'm trying to have our team kind of focus more on is retention um, and keeping folks around and using the product. And, and when you and you help them find a client that is consistent, that helps retention, right? Mm-hmm. When you have then find a client and they're and that they're working with that client every single week or every other week or every month for months, it's much easier to kind of keep that freelancer and client using the product versus yeah. the frequency of Airbnb as an example. Like you as a guest on Airbnb, you're not booking an Airbnb every single week. Right. So it's um it's a different kind of retention game. Um, but the hosts, they try to keep booked every day. Right. And you think about it, like the biggest companies in the world are not even thinking how you just mentioned. They're all worried about new customers, new customers. They don't give a shit about existing customers to a sense. <laughs> just as simple as like, you think like a bank or like 
anybody who offers, oh, first time customer, get $30 off. And all the people who've been shopping somewhere for like 10 years, they're like, I've literally been a customer for 10 years. What, what are you going to do for me? And they're like, oh, sorry, this is just for new customers. <laughs> like, yeah, they don't they don't care it's, once they have you. You need to care. Um, and you do at a certain point, you need to acquire new folks. Of course, right? so, I get it. So there, there are certain things that you can do in acquiring folks, but you you want to be careful of not like alienating your, your kind of core customer set. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's not easy. I don't know. Um, one thing I'd be curious to talk about is like the marketing side over time, as you guys have grown, like tell us a little bit about your thoughts and sort of uh, objectives and strategies and marketing. Have you, you know, shifted strategies or tried new various ways of, of advertising? Yeah. I think it comes down to, continuously refining your user personas. So getting really narrow in terms of what type of freelancer like are we trying to attract and yeah. what type of clients are we trying to attract and what's the what's the ideal engagement and what does it look like and what does success look like and what are the deliverables and what are the things that that make a lot of sense. And as you learn, like when you start off, you don't necessarily you have a thesis, you test it. Right. Hopefully there's something to learn in that and then you iterate and evolve and iterate and evolve. So our marketing, your marketing as a function should evolve as your user persona evolves and your understanding of product evolves. And that's been something that, you know, we're, we're continuously evolving. You talk about product market fit and there's two variables in there. There's the product and there's the market. Mm. So we've been making updates to the product and then we've looked at the cohort data of what types of freelancers perform better and what type of clients perform better and then in the early days, you know, you just, you don't want to say no to anybody. Right. You, you kind of want to say yes to everybody or of course. whatever within some set. But then as you evolve, you have to be like, actually, how we qualify people is, is much more important. And, and, mm. and, and less important for me right now than, ha is, than having 30,000 freelancers on our, on our platform, which is what we have. I'd rather have like 300 that are, that love it, you know, yeah, or are using yeah, yeah. it like every week. And I, and that means like, I'd rather have like 300 freelancers that fit and or validate a very specific thesis on a user persona and 300 clients that fit that very specific persona and 300 engagements. And that's, what's more important for us at this stage. Yeah. So marketing is more around how do you get that 300? It's not even how do I get a thousand or how do I get 10,000? I think that's been more like the game early on is you have these like vanity metrics of top of the funnel of like, oh yeah, we got 10,000 freelancers right. on our platform or 80,000 people. Okay, but how many of them are using it? How many of them have found success? And um, we've had a lot of people sign up, but not as many find success, which is natural. You always have a funnel. Right. So marketing is evolving as a function of how our market positioning is, is also continuing to evolve based upon what types of users are finding the most success. Interesting. And so what, what do you find... I guess seems to be the most effective. Is it, um, you know, like ads on Facebook or Instagram or is it video or like what? It's word of mouth, which goes back to retention. Yeah. Our most successful freelancers and clients have come because they know someone who's found success. Because they're going to share their story. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And what happens is if you get new, if you spend a thousand dollars on Google ads and you get 10 new clients or whatever it might be, and they don't find success, they're not going to tell their... It's a dead end. Exactly. So you got to spend another ten, another thousand, another thousand. Right. And that stuff just becomes more expensive over time because right. it becomes... you finding more people. Your, your, your kind of criteria expands as you saturate a specific demographic. Yeah. Um, 
So that's why retention is really important yeah. because if people imagine staying in an Airbnb and you have a bad experience, you like show up, the doors are unlocked, you get scammed, whatever it might be, yeah. it's just not good. You're not going to tell your friend about it. Right. What happened to Airbnb is they started creating these delightful experiences where they had really good photos and you made it, it made it really likely that you'd stay, you had a great experience and you have a great experience. It's more affordable. Next time your friend is like, oh, I just, you tell your friends about it. I had this great experience yeah. staying in an Airbnb and like you should do it too. So that's why retention is important and thinking about customer user delight um, and how do you create an amazing experience for them such that they're likely to refer you? Because that's like been the golden thing for us of like what gets trust amongst like yeah. Gen Z and also with clients too. It's like a, a, a lot of our clients are entrepreneurs or startups and, and they're all part of these communities of other founders. and Right. And they know other business. Yeah, they're always sharing tools and stuff like that. So that's why we've kind of gone back and be like, what gets us, how do we help every single user who comes into our ecosystem find success and have a great experience such that they're more likely to refer us? And then, yeah, we are running some experiments with performance marketing, with with sales, with email outbound, with TikTok, all these things. Um, uh, And and some of them are more successful than others. And that's part of the game also is trying to find the right channel. It's like, what's the right channel to get the right kind of user persona? So it all comes back to the user, right? Like which channel you use, your business model, the product, the marketing, all comes down to who are you serving? And it's not everybody. Right. It can't be, I'll tell you right now, it can't be all 40 million new freelancers. <laughs> right, right. It can't be. Yeah. Um, but let's, is there, is there a, a persona that represents a million of them? Right. That, that we can really service really well. Right. And that's whatever, like two per, like 1% or 2% of the mark, 2% of the market is 3%. Like let's go after that specific segment um, yeah. and design a product that works really well for them. Yeah. It sounds like the marketing is the customers, the users. The, both sides, the freelancers and businesses. That's always the best. I mean, the best products, the most exciting ones are that spend zero dollars on marketing. That's it's, awesome. it's, it's, uh, 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 there's different th- uh, theories on this, but um, it's been said that paying for marketing is a tax you pay for having a subpar product. Huh. Yeah. I like that. That's really interesting. But the, the, the caveat to that is there's also the, 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 the fallacy that if you build it, they will come. So you need to think about your distribution and you need to think about why someone's going to tell their friend about it and the context in which they do it and or having other refer other kind of loops embedded in the product experience that help drive distribution and acquisition. Yeah. Yeah, Even if you have a good marketing piece, someone's going to go tell their friends about, you know, the marketing video or billboard or something that they saw. And that's still spreading the word, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to think about defensibility. I mean, look at what happened with Casper. Casper is this D2C mattress company um, that actually came out of Brown. Really, really smart team. And they were the first to figure out that uh, you could take a mattress, a foam mattress, compress it, vacuum seal it, put it in a box and ship it. So it's like incredibly easy to like get into your apartment. And they did a great job, actually. Actually, the, the, the company was initially incorporated as Providence Mattress Company. Really? Was it yeah, really? Yeah, actually. Yeah, wow. yeah. Fun fact. I remember reading some stuff about them, um, about the, how they started in yeah. Providence. Well, they were, they were like an incredible, all their, all their, like their design was done here. And um, uh, they were an incredible early success. I mean, they, they became a unicorn. Their ads were 
the ads Crazy. were incredible. Yeah, yeah. But then what happened was it always fast followers. So then you had the purple mattress and you had the nectar mattress and you had Amazon start doing the phone mattresses. Yeah. And it became this like marketing game, marketing game, right. marketing game. Because with them, it is all about acquisition. Because how many, how often are you buying a mattress? Yeah, You're buying a mattress every like 10 years. You know what I mean? So they got all these initial users and they're like, oh, there's a market here. So then it became, they started spending all this money on marketing. They went public, but they were spending so much more marketing. They they weren't profitable, and yeah, really, I was gonna say they were burning money. I remember. I know. That I think they 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 went public for over a billion dollars, and I think they got acquired for like a hundred to two hundred million by a private equity company. Holy shit! I think they lost like eighty percent of the market cap. Are they still around? They're still a company. Still, I think. Yeah. The, I don't think the founders are that involved anymore. I think they. I mean, listen. Hey, they cashed they, out. Good for good. Good yeah. for them. You know? Listen, uh, it's what they built is incredibly impressive. But I think yeah. the 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 lesson there is when it's the only about acquisition and it, you're reliant wholly on marketing dollars, right. it becomes a very tough machine to feed, um, especially when your product isn't a really high retention product. Right. And they, they've tried to kind of position themselves as more of like a sleep brand. So they have pillows and they I have I was just going to say that, like, yes, you can buy have, other small stuff, but yeah. like... They don't um, own the MyPillow, do they? No, not, I don't no, think so. Separate. I, they have a pillow. It's a great pillow. Because, yeah, because yeah. I was going to say, like, yes, you could come up with, like, other small products, but, like, how much money are you going to make additionally off of a pillow? Which, again, you're not buying a new pillow that often. Yeah. Or, like, sheets. Yeah. Like, come on, sheets are, like, what, 30 bucks? I mean, I guess I got into, like, yeah, I got into, like, selling melatonin or something. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, sleep mats and stuff. <laughs> then they start selling the bed frame, and then they yeah. just... I mean, listen, there's, you can, you can, and all that stuff serves to increase the LTV. And listen, there are a number of, of products out there that are very low frequency, but very successful. Think about Zillow. True. How often do you sell a home? Yeah, not that often. I haven't even bought a home yet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like every 10 years, but, they, but you know, people use it, use it for rentals. And, right. um, and they still, probably make a ton of money from advertising, it's still, po it's still possible to build a very successful business on a lower frequency product. product. It's just, it's a different game. Yeah. Which, this, is, this is why... VC investors love SaaS. Yeah. This is why people like, love, like the whole move to the cloud was like right. such a, a game changer for software companies. Like think about Dropbox. We just upgraded to the Dropbox basically unlimited. And we like, when, when will we ever stop paying for it? Yeah, because you interface with it daily. Exactly. Weekly, right? It has our archives from our old projects on there. It yeah, has super everything. sticky, yeah. right? And what are we ever going to do? Download the all like off eight of terabytes? Yeah, the switching costs off that to something else is like... Insane. Yeah, it's nuts. So we're trying to think about similar things with like... And that happens with like a, a marketplace with like a network effect. Yeah. As you build a market, as you build a network, it becomes more valuable such that to like leave it is 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 more challenging. Right, right. Um, so that might have... Either we'll go a direction where we leverage that market network to like help it stay sticky, mm -hmm. or we actually try to like tackle something related to to um, your online identity and how that's like restricted to a single platform. Yeah, you ever thought about doing like ambassador stuff? I know you kind of you kind of were doing it last time we talked, but yeah. So so we've we've done ambassador, and and that's really what helped fuel a lot of our early freelancer growth. But again, I think that was more of a quantity game than a quality game. Well, okay, cool. Yeah, I think that our thinking has really evolved really recently in terms of in terms of this, in terms of like, it's it's more important to get a hundred of the right freelancers than it is to get ten thousand signed up, yeah. right? Who like don't see a job. Like we had people signing up who are like zoology majors and <laughs> and it's like they're like, where are the jobs at Roger Williams Zoo? And I'm like, that's yeah. that's just not what we serve. Like <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Um so boom, user sign up, churn. You know, that's right. not there's one company that did a really good job of uh, uh quality it was called Sup 
superhumans an email yeah i use them you use them i do i they wouldn't let me use them when i signed up why yeah because i use email sequences so a lot of my workflow is like uh, download a certain set csv of a certain you know freelancer set or whatever it is load it up run a sequence and they didn't have sequencing when they when they uh, launched so they were like you're not gonna you're not gonna end up using our product yeah so sorry come Damn. back later Wait, so you because you guys weren't going to use it they weren't going to let you because they weren't we, going to use your service because we know because we had a need for a feature that they didn't provide oh I they got knew you. that I got you. we were a high risk of churn so we were going to be a risk of like us signing up and then them like us not using them yeah. which ruins their numbers so what they're trying to do is like game of like they might have the same number of users who are going to use their product but by only letting in the users who are going to find success, it makes their retention numbers look awesome. awesome. Yeah. It's like, oh, we got 100 customers signed up, and, and six months later, they're all still here. Right. Versus, oh, we had 1,000 of them sign up, and, and six months later, 100 of them are still here. Like, it's the same 100 that you might have let in the first place. So they really focus on only letting in the people that they felt like were going to retain, which then make their numbers look awesome. Yeah. Which is me. <laughs> I, I really love it. I, I feel like it's extremely sped up. My emails, like yeah. well, all of the shortcuts and like just the whole interface, and I, I don't know. It's, it's a great product, and they yeah. found product market fit. But that's my point: is they, they, they therefore they're they tune very, it very because narrow. they know who they serve and they know what pain points they address. Right. So they're they they like superhuman. Whenever just have an ambassador program because right. they don't care about you know having a hundred thousand people. Right. Like that's not they what they rather service a, a small a my small point, group of people who yeah. are gonna keep keep it precisely it seem more premier. Yeah, like a little more high end too. Exactly. It's also probably why it's so expensive. Yeah. Well, I think positioning yourself <laughs> as a premium product is, is, is important. And, and listen, a lot, a lot of the stuff that we're doing right now is reworking our UI and our brand and things like that to, to become a higher quality brand. Yeah. Right. Um, to not just become like a place to go to for like fifteen dollar an hour talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the higher quality talent that we want to that we're developing our persona around. They're not going to work for fifteen dollars an hour. Right. They're not going to work for twenty. Yeah. They're probably thirty and up, thirty-four, and that's even you know a lot more affordable than, than a lot of other platforms. But yeah. the the persona of folks that we're looking for are a higher quality piece of talent, and a lot of our product in terms of the design doesn't always convey that that quality of precision stuff as premium. Mm. And sometimes just the look of something, right, yeah, conveys right. premium and commands a higher price. So, um, superhuman. So we we did try ambassadors. Uh, it did work. Well for us, and it got us a lot of signups, but it got us a lot of non-qualified. The retention signups. wasn't there. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, um, I guess. Uh, did you want to go into more of like the future and like what changes you might make? I was gonna stay away from it because I didn't know. If Let me think about this. When is this gonna get released? Probably next week. Like next week, Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> um. We can have you back for part three too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it would be cool to bring me back when it when it's time and ready. Okay, cool. Like, That's what I think. we're gonna make some exciting releases probably later this fall in like October. Yeah, you can tease right. it. You, yeah, you can tease it. Yeah, I, I I'll here. I'll I'll throw you a pitch. Um, so you know to kind of wrap it up here, Adam. What what kind of changes or like what what's in the in the horizon here? The next six months. What are you guys working on? Yeah, I think some of the things that we've we've learned over the last several months are you know as our product has gotten better, faster, sleeker, easier to navigate as we've really started to like win in that front. Yep. We've realized that at the end of the day, the product that the client experiences is not only the software, but it's the work product delivered, delivered by the freelancer. And when that work product does not meet their expectations, 
they don't come back. So we're starting to shift our focus more towards curated quality talent, talent that we have a high degree of confidence has the technical competence to deliver as well as some of the more professionalism right. such that it's easier for those folks to stand out. So mm-hmm. we're putting a lot more emphasis in terms of your identity, in terms of your profile, in terms of the process of helping everyone do a better job, really position themselves as higher quality yeah. and then putting ourselves a little bit in that as like the first kind of um, first pass to make sure that we're only letting folks in, becoming yeah. a little bit more of like a, a place for a curated quality talent. Yeah. yeah. Same thing goes on the, the demand side. So making sure that we're, we're bringing the types of opportunities that appeal to that type of talent. So yeah. our user persona is evolving beyond just someone who's in college, more so into younger tech professionals, yeah. particularly recent grads. Um, the, the, the individual I mentioned before is no longer a college student, right? And, and we're talking about how do we build a product that really helps retain that type of user. And, right. and that's different than someone who's 19 years old and has never used Figma or doesn't, hasn't, doesn't have a technical profession, doesn't right. necessarily have a technical proficiency nor the professional experience to be able to deliver yeah. the, to the extent that, that the client's looking for. So that's some of the more immediate changes that, that we're indexing towards. We're gonna nice. see a lot of product updates that help reflect that. Cool. Um, and we've already kind of, started pushing this out. We already have a hundred pre-vetted, call them Pangea pros, that we vetted in a much narrower set of categories. Yeah. So instead of having 36 categories we're trying to service, we're focusing on six. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Um, and we're looking at everyone's portfolio, we're doing reference checks, we're yeah. doing, you know, we're actually talking with these folks um, and, cool. and only letting folks in that we're like, this person is gonna do a great job. Right. Um, and then we're also revamping kind of how we kind of bring opportunities into the platform to, to make high quality matches that therefore leads to higher quality retention. Yeah. You know, what's funny when you talk uh, kind of about that stuff is for us, it's, you know, we make a video or we take some photos and we send our photos out or video out and it has our name on it. It's representing our brand. A little piece of you is in every single one of those companies that these people are signing up for. So it's like, you're, you must feel some sort of responsibility for all these companies and all these projects that your freelancers are doing. Cause if it does come out to be a bad, uh, product, it kind of reflects poorly on you as well. So I can see where you're coming from, where you want yeah. to fit these people. Like you said, if somebody has a bad experience, it's more likely that they might not go back because they'd be like, oh man, last time I got my a video or like last time I had graphic design work done there, like I didn't like it. I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah. Well, I mean, with, with our current structure, like we are stewards of the ecosystem. So what happens is if, if, a, if a great client, great potential client comes in and they have a subpar experience, they might not come back. And that's taking away an opportunity from another freelancer right. who right. might've done a great job, right? right? So True. you have to think about things. It's not just about like how it's, it affects Pangea, the corporation. It's right. about how it affects the community and the ecosystem as a whole. Interesting. And yeah. those are interesting dynamics. You can't always guarantee. And sometimes they'll come back and give someone else a shot. Right. But every single time someone makes a hire, there's an opportunity cost. It means they're not giving that opportunity to someone else. Right. Um, so we're trying to see, There's we think there's some low-hanging fruit to help optimize on that. It's never gonna yeah. be 100%. Right. But that's kind of how we think about it. It's like, how do we do well by our users? Yeah. Not even like, oh, how do I, not like I have a personal, I mean, I. it's like how I reflect in Pangea and it's right. like people have, it's like makes me feel bad. It's like, no, it's bad for the ecosystem. Yeah. If someone comes in and has a subpar experience, it's not good for the other side. And same thing right. if, if a freelancer works with a client that tries to, you know, take advantage of them, 
then we lose this really high quality freelancer. And right. then the, when that when when the next day a great client comes in and and and, and has a great opportunity, um, we can't connect them with that with that right. great freelancer. So so and that's the result of we had a, a client that that did wrong by a freelancer. So it goes on. It's it, honestly it's fifty sides. fifty. Yeah, um, so as stewards of the ecosystem, we take responsibility on how we how we kind of foster the right uh, uh, ethos and values and, res- and and responsibility and respect. And also go the other way too, where they get great print, uh, Pangean, and then they keep on using you guys. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. That's obviously, the goal. If we if we have, give a client a great experience with Pangean, they're going to come back. Right, they're going to make friends other hires, yeah. and they're going to it's going to it's going to actually increase the pie. Right. But if everyone's competing for a pie that's not growing or a pie that's shrinking, it's not that's not the kind of right. uh, environment you want to foster. But I like that because you uh, even since the beginning, I feel like you've always been about accountability. I remember one of the features that I really respected was the fact that every business would review the Pangean after mm-hmm. about like accountability, professionalism, like timeliness, communication, all that, like keeps both sides, you know, at their, at the top of their game. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's about how do you build trust? Right. You know, it's like, how do I know the person I'm interacting with, like has done a good job? Right. And how do you reward people? Because like that review really matters. Right. for the talent like getting that positive review is going to help them get higher wages going to help them right. advocate for themselves better they're not just always starting at zero right right if they have 50 great reviews from previous clients that's really going to be helpful for yeah. that freelancer so exactly. um that stuff's super important and, and 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 maybe introducing something like that in terms of how companies interact with their independence and and, and, and interact with their freelancers is going to be really important for us as well yeah that's awesome yeah, yeah. i got a oh, i got one more question go for it. kind of a fun question I know you've obviously grown a lot. Where I'm still five seven, so <laughs> Pangea has grown a lot. Um, where did you see like a Pangean come in, like a freelancer, and you're like, holy shit, like my reach is out that far, like in the world, like mm. geographically. Yeah, you're like, oh wow, we're all the way out there. We actually had issues. I mean, we've had we've had we've had Pangeans try to sign up for like thirty or forty different countries now. Um, I love that I have we have we have a relatively successful Pangean in England. Oh, um, nice. That's and, really cool. And she, and she goes to University College of London, so that that's pretty cool. We have a couple of Pangeans actually um, who are from India, um, wow. who who've used us successfully. But yeah. we but we've been limited in terms of how international we've gone because of payments and taxes, and yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. want to get over our skis a little bit. Right, and right. there's a whole different problem set of building a product that works well for super asynchronous work where your freelancer is like eight hours ahead or behind of you. Right. So we've really been trying to focus on folks that at least are based in or can work U.S. hours. Yep. So we've really been focusing on Canada and the, and the U.S. And, and we've had, I think like 15% of our user base now is from Canada. Wow. That's uh, wild. Yeah. So that's, it's, that's, pretty cool. that's pretty cool. The Canadian students are hungry. Yeah. Yeah. The Canadians are. They're, they're and they're nice. Work. They're very nice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> They're very nice. Actually, I hired I hired someone from uh, from Canada to, to kind of build out our Discord community. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and they've scaled it now to six thousand people. Yeah, so, uh, that's sick. Without me doing anything, you know what I mean? Like, I that's gave them great. a Discord with like a couple hundred, and then I came back like two months later. It's got six thousand people in it. Wow, yeah. that's cool. dope. Yeah, we could hire some Canadians. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <You> totally should. <laughs> that's awesome, Adam. Well, thanks for coming in, man. This was awesome. I was glad to have you back, and uh, we'll see you for part three, I guess. Yeah, bring me back. Thank you guys. Uh, guys, check them out on Instagram at Pangea.app. Yep. Uh, and you can check out the app on the App Store, Pangea.app. Yeah. Um, and as always, uh, give us a f- uh, follow on Instagram at Up in Your Biz Pod. Stay tuned for the next episode. 
and we'll catch you next time.